You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Ellen Aguirre. people don't understand what righteousness is and yet it says our righteousness has to exceed that of the pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven what the heck does that mean let me just read it in context really quick okay okay matthew 25 matthew 5 uh, verse 17 he says do not think that i came to destroy the law or the prophets I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that word in Hebrew is really important. It means to establish and uphold, not to sideline or do away with. And it's the word lekahayem. Uh, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew by Howard, he has the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. It's interesting, when he qualifies our righteousness compared to the righteousness of the Pharisees, there's a little caveat there. Their righteousness is false. Yeah. And you don't read that in the regular text. But when you think about righteousness and and you think about what he just said, that the fact that going back to Matt, going forward to Matthew 28, he says, you know, making disciples of the nations, teaching them everything that I've commanded you to obey. You know, that's part of the Great Commission. And um, why is that important for spiritual warfare? Because, you know, you got to ask yourself, what is spiritual warfare? It's the cosmic battle between Yahweh and evil. And it's the son of man, the cloud rider, who's coming back, who's doing battle with these forces. And uh, they don't want to be taken out of the way. They want to prolong this thing as long as they can. And so when you ask yourself, what is spiritual warfare? What is the thing they fear the most? It's the Great Commission, hmm. which not, ushers, not only ushers in the kingdom, it brings back the Son of Man, but it takes away everything they want as the worship of man because they're over the nations. That's a whole different subject. But what he says here about righteousness is pretty interesting because 
that's the kind of discovery we're going to go on to see who was righteous from the beginning. And it always goes back to Abraham. So a lot of my thoughts are going around there and it has to do with not yelling at demons, you know, or keeping what the, how could we even keep the law in a greater fashion than the Pharisees did? He commended them on that. And that what, that's not what it was about. It was about a heart issue that had to do with loving God. There's the heart again. There it is. And it was the heart issue about loving one another. Mm. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm, I'm going to try to unwrap that in about three sessions. And I'll post it on the, my uh, YouTube page. But it's just a thought because righteousness is attached to the fear of the Lord. And it's attached to obedience. And it follows this pattern. And the Pharisees, man, they had it down, but their works weren't based on a faith because they loved God. That's the problem. Yeah, it's such a mind bender when I when I read that jot and tittle part. And some some it's talking about basically they have even they have little herb gardens growing thyme or dill, and they got a little sprout of dill, and they're so so. I'm gonna tie. They're they're. They're, they're pinching off the leaves to give the yeah. Lord. And, and, and when you're talking about spiritual warfare, he's basically saying none of that's going to work. And if they were that diligent to the law, the letter of the law that they're, they're counting like dill seeds or leaves or whatever, they would just be kind of, what, what are you talking about? This is, this is the law. And he's just inviting them into the supernatural, supernatural power of his future resurrected body. And it's just, it's pretty amazing. And you think about his law, it all points to him. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus is the embodiment of the Torah. He's the living word. And this is the connection that Abraham, he believed him right when he was about ready to put the knife to his son's neck. He believed that what God was able to do was raise him. And when you think about that, that power, it's not only called, it was imputed him, imputed unto him as a righteousness, which was his faith. And uh, faith, again, is, is that vehicle which pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is that thing that uh, um, is rooted in obedience to believe what he said. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you can't separate these things. And yet these foundational principles are going to get us through what's to come. We, yeah. And believing has to do with operating in the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out devils. You better have that. You better have that as a foundation because if you don't, you're going to get slimed. It's just, you know. Yeah, what do you think about Timmer's question here? I don't know if I've ever thought about it like this. Do you think they weren't believing God like Abraham because they were adding to it? I don't know if I've ever thought about that. What it, what it, what it, what it brings to my mind is maybe complacency. Like if I if God challenges me or brings something to my attention that I'm not acting in faith and just kind of going through the motions which is, can be easy to do in evangelical Christian at Christianity, which is my background. And you just, you're going to church, you're playing drums on Sunday and, and just, it's just the, 
when there's a, there's been seasons for me where it's just run of the mill normal where I'm not actively proactive in my faith. Maybe it's like that. They're just, Oh, we're doing, we're doing the rules and greening the rules. We got the schedule. We got the calendar. We, this is what you do. And not thinking like Abraham's faith drifting further from Abraham's faith where it was credited to him as righteousness. I don't know. What do you think about that? If I put myself in this situation where I'd be like those guys, it would be just because I, I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to do, not because I was necessarily shutting down my heart consciously to the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He says, because they were adding to it. it his words weren't enough for them. And when he gave his law, it was always to point back to him that not only was he a provider for our existence as humans on this planet, but even like through Shabbat and all the things that he lays out, he goes, you're much more than this. You're my sons that are to inherit the kingdom. I think they forgot that, but they, they forgot it because like human nature and like sinfulness, everything was surrounded about themselves. Everything was pointing towards themselves. The selfishness kicked in. How do I survive? I'll, I'll put God off here to the side. They don't realize that right when they wake up, here they are. They have this privilege of calling him father and knowing that all the resources of the kingdom are available to them. You know, we have this language we're talking in. I don't know if they had that back then, but what, what Abraham had was he saw God's provisions. He saw miracles. These early Hebrews, they were acquainted with miracles like many of us haven't even seen and how quick they forgot. Look at those that went through the wilderness. Look, look at those went after, right after they left Egypt, what they saw and immediately, oh no, I'm in danger. And, um, okay, we have, what, 3,000 years to take a look at that and see where they went and not make the same mistakes. But here we have a whole generation of believers right now. What we're going to be going into, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going like this, look at the gas prices, look at this, look at our, our planet. They're going to look into my bank account, everything that's going on around us right now we have reason to freak out or we have reason to know and say, you know what? It doesn't surprise him. What, how are we going to operate and function so that they're going to see our faith in God with joy and not to be a doormat and not to give up on the fact that we need to proclaim righteousness and what true justice is and to speak the truth, which is going to, get some of our heads cut off. But the reality is, is that uh, rather than living in that fear, we live in the fear of the Lord and righteousness. I think they ultimately got to answer his question is they left the fear of the Lord. That wasn't part of it. That's not only the beginning of wisdom, but it's a byproduct of what obedience is. It really is. You obey because you know who he is and you obey because you have respect for that. And I think that is missing in your modern church today and understanding what the fear of the Lord is and how that has to be 
prominent. Just my thoughts on that one. So the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> yeah. It's when you were talking about bank account, I mean, that pricks me, right? Just from, if you, if you just, man, what the things that might possibly happen in the coming years, am I fearing that more than I'm fearing the Lord? And I'm, if I'm fearing something more than I'm fearing the Lord, it's because that has control over me. Like I've put my trust in the bank account. I put my trust in the comforts of life. I put my trust in coming and going freely. And, and yeah, I think when our fear, when the fear of the Lord is checked, we've ascribed more power and authority to things in our life than we should. He touches us at the, at the deepest points, the things that we cherish the most in our hearts. It's really challenging. I'm thinking of Psalm two where then it's the, the nation scoff and what does Adonai do? He laughs. So there's, there's powers that are coming at us. Uh, let me just, let me just look at it. I was reading it this morning, but it connects. Oh, yeah. Why are the nations in uproar? The people's grumbling in vain. The earth's Kings <laughs> are taking positions Leaders conspiring together against Adonai and his, and his anointed. Isn't that interesting? They cry, let's break their fetters. Let's throw off their chains. Verse four, he who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai looks at them in derision. Wow. Why would he be laughing? Because he's installed as king. He knows the end. He, his power has not been shaken. And... Man, that's just such an encouragement. Yeah, it is. He's not. He's like a grandfather, looking at his children, his grandchildren, plotting how to like sneak around the corner to get get their hand in the candy jar, and he's sitting on the couch laughing. Oh, that plan! You don't think I see you? And and you're making all these plans so you can have candy. Oh, drink from the well of the water of life. Hmm. God's good. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. That, that is a, a perfect verse because this when you when you think about how this whole generation, they don't want to have any attachment to God. They they want to be free of all of his authority. I go, it's nothing new. I mean, you know, the, the whole hippie movement. <laughs> We don't want to be under anybody's authority. I mean, whatever, it, it just goes around and around and around. It just is given a new name. You know, they call them millennials. Oh, no, this is a whole new thing. No, it isn't. I mean, people are just trying to run away from his authority, casting away their fetters. We don't want to have anything to do with you. It's exactly right. And we. It's interesting because Timothy, he doesn't he say when it comes to the end that what's going to be is a generation who's motivated by probably one of the strongest selfish attitudes human nature's ever seen. It's going to be 
a picture of human nature, the most selfish generation on the planet. I can't, it, it's hard to describe what will that look like, even in the midst of tribulation and terror and politic, everything else. They're going to be running and screaming. It's I want, I want, I need, I'm terrified. It's, you know, it's all those eyes. I'm guilty. I've been there. I know what it's like. I, all you have to, <laughs> when the politic hits me and I have to shake it off because I get angry in my spirit, I go, what am I letting, what, what am I letting that do to my spirit? All of a sudden, I'm, I go into that place of fear, and I want to retaliate. Uh, we we did this through my eye. We had a moment this weekend. Um, we were in a coffee shop. We went with our family, and my boy, he's twelve, and he he was he actually he got he was tears were coming. He was holding back tears, and we're like, "Buddy, what's up?" And he said, COVID has ruined everything. And he's, he's pretty, he, he's, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, but he, I think he was having a moment of weakness. And so he's, he's talking about school, the way school used to be. He's talking about friends, you know, families that are on all kinds of, you know, the political spectrum. And things parents say, and he's just, he's bumming, you know, he's bumming for how quote life used to be. And we were trying to get him to talk about it. And he, and, and we had a, he wasn't ready in the moment, but in front of the fireplace, a few hours later at home at night, we were, we were talking about the Lord's prayer and where our faith goes and, and the peace that Jesus offers through prayer and what prayer is. And uh, we, we cracked it a little bit and ended up praying together as a family, recounting the good things of the Lord. And, but man, it's tough, man. When you, when you see your kids struggling with, I don't know, they, they have their hope, they've had their hopes and things and you can't discount them for that and it's that teaching moment of okay this is this is where it's getting real isn't it and and how you encourage them to the lord and at the same time it's convicting because i'm telling them to do something i might not be doing i'm attached to other things in different ways and oh man it was it, it was just revealing though but so many people are struggling this is a family you know christ is the center of our life and i just think of the people that what you're saying that are rebelling against the Lord and, and what we would call selfish. And it's a struggle even for people that are chasing after Jesus, the world, the world needs the Lord, man. Well, I want to commend you that you took that time to listen to him. And, you know, I hear that in my heart. I, I get pricked because I'm going growing up. I saw times where I did not, take the time to listen to my daughter to what she was feeling at that point and how just as much that's part of the kingdom, because right away, it, what I was programmed to do is fix it. Let's just fix it. 
I just want to fix it. I want to tell you, oh, this is our future. This is what we have in Jesus. And it disconnects them from who he is because we're telling them, you know, I want to objectify it. It's it, what you're feeling isn't that important. Let me just tell you what's really important in the future. And all of a sudden, but what you did is you told him how important he was and how important his feelings were. And uh, that is a, an incredible balance. And I just want to, you know, 2020 is hindsight. You know, I, I, I could say, I wish I, I would have, could have, you know, I wish I would have done all that, but now I'm looking at it and I'm going, yeah, it's, it's like the children of Israel. We look at the scriptures and we go, we don't want to make the same mistakes they did. And what's going to be so important for the days to come is exactly that, the, that, that first message of John the Baptist to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. How else can you bring them into that place of bringing the disobedient into the wisdom of righteousness, which was the next part? That's what prepares them for his coming, you know, and, and, uh, we get to practice the kingdom in our family. That's which, right. Which it starts be, right there. Which can be the hardest. Yes. Speaking blessing over each other, you know, not forgetting in the heat of the moment that we're together and, you know, praying together and just pastoring, shepherding your own family is difficult sometimes. Yeah. Your attitude is great. I mean, you said our God is able. I look at what Tremor was talking about, the two spies. When, mm-hmm. when he said the 12 spies and, and Caleb and, and Joshua, they said, our God is able. They, they said, ah. And uh, that's with what we're facing, <laughs> the whole COVID thing. And remember, this is nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are all these trials right here. When you just look back in history, can you imagine the tremors the pandemic of the, that uh, flu at the turn of the century? How many millions that killed? Same, way more than what was killed here. And, and uh, they didn't have, they don't have what we have. Here we are at the end of the age. We have a lot. We're the most privileged of all generations, but we're also, with that privilege, are going to face some of the, shall I say, greatest terrifying challenges that this planet's ever brought. And yet he's equipped us for that. Yeah, so good. I mean, I was, I'm just re- remembering something that happened that night too at home when we ended, we ended praying together and, and we had, we weren't even talking about this, but my son, same son, he said, he's, his prayer was God, please help president Biden and our governor and everyone in charge. And he said, he said something like somehow help them know what your will is. And I, I was just, I was tearing up and praying it. And I, and I just, after I said, buddy, that's so great. You know what? God tells us to pray for our leaders. I mean, how do you, how do you knowing, knowing the state of things and where we think they're going? Is it first Timothy two? Where he's saying, pray for the leaders, Kings authorities, everyone is saying, I think he calls out all the different versions of prayer, intercession, prayers, thanksgiving, be made for your leaders. And then the next line or two is because God's will is that everyone is delivered. Everyone becomes saved to a knowledge of him. Like, how does this prick you for, man, that's, that's hard. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, you know, pr- like pray God's will over these people. Obviously, he puts the Dariuses, he puts the people in charge that isn't. But that is that's where it starts getting real. Yeah, but he yeah. commands us to pray. Pray for these people. I I, I know he, most of us the last year and a half, two years. What we've done is get right back on Facebook right away and create a mem just for our displaying what our feelings and our anger is, man, the Lord just slapped me upside of the head about nine or 10 months ago because of how I was letting that affect me like that. And here your son goes, Oh Lord, please show him your way out of the mouths of babes, man is perfected praise. You know what praise is? Praise is that place is where you can trust him with what he's doing. And that is what came out of your son's mouth. And we, we think praise is singing a song, baby. No, it isn't. It's trusting him. It's believing in him and it's being able to pray. That's what this is the, the completion of what praise is. It's giving him the glory that's due him because he's in charge. Again, that's the fear of the Lord. These are those little things that we've uh, allowed Christianese to get in our way. You know, what's good worship? What's good praise? What's all this? It starts in the heart, right in the family. It starts in that child who can pray for a leader that might be a Jeroboam or a Rehoboam. (laughs) He wasn't a good leader, but he knows that God put him there and God's in charge. Yeah, I think, isn't there something in that verse too? It's uh, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives. Yes. Which is so interesting when I was reading it this week about, I mean, Paul, Paul, who was on the run, is saying this. So there's this desire for peace. There's desire for quiet, even though he's running. And he probably had periods of peace. Um, Or he was in a visiting home and just felt the peace of the Lord, the shalom of the Lord in someone's home. And like, this is good. This is good, but it's so infrequent, but let's pray for it. Yeah. It's uh, such an, Paul is such an enigma sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, here's the, the, the struggle that I see, but this is why the Lord raises up prophets too, is that, and yet we have to, be able to see what true justice is. And we, we, we have to navigate the spirit behind things on this planet because it's going to give us wisdom how to intercede and uh, um, how we should live in all manner of holiness, like it says. Uh, I'm trying to think of that verse in Romans is how shall we then live knowing it's high time to wake up out of our sleep because of the days that are here, you know, it's, it's, and yet at the same time, walk in love. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, because we deal with the prophetic people are prophetic. There's a lot of prophets, but I see a lot of prophecy and we're a lot of times we're just speaking to the choir where it's like a coaching thing. Yeah, here we go. We know what's coming. We want to see what's happening. And, the Lord gives us downloads and he tells us that, but Lord, are you going to be raising up the prophets again that go to the leaders and the nations? And uh, 
because I, I see a lot of information going out wanting just to curse our present situation and rip apart the leaders. And yet we're supposed to walk in love. And that's a fine line. And uh, he says, he goes, pray for your enemies and those who despitefully use you. Yeah. I don't think he's saying turn off your brain. No. Like if you think of, let's say there's someone that's harmed your family, say not a violent family, but try, you know, uh, uh, stole something from you or, or sold, you know, said something behind your back. Well, you're going to pray for them and praying for your countenance interacting with them, but you're also going to be wise. You know, it's the whole forgiveness and trust thing. You could, you could forgive someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean they can come into your house and take your children and you're going to trust them with certain, you know, sometimes trust has to be earned back, but, but you'd still, it's in perspective, the relationships in perspective, like I'm still going to bless them and pray that God intervenes and speaks to them. So you, you're getting discernment. I think I, I would say, yes, as I've prayed for people, I get discernment. Maybe that's what he's calling us to. Here, pray when you pray for this person. I will speak to you about how to navigate. I will speak to you about your role in in um, blessing them and participating in my will that all men would be saved. That word comes up a lot. Discernment. It's an operative word. I think it's it's part and partial to the uh, um, uh, those who what does it say? The sons of Issachar. They knew the times and they knew what to do. They had that wisdom, that discernment. And uh, like you said, teaching us how to navigate that because our responsibility is hosting the Holy Spirit of God that's within us to show forth the kingdom. It's not just peace, love and Bobby Sherman. It's it's both. It's his justice, and yet it is his mercy. It's that constant, if you will, uh, testing of when he was hanging on the cross and all justice was coming to place, and yet an incredible wave of mercy came from his death through ourself and brought us salvation. And yet at the same time, um, we also know that that justice sent uh the legions of hell running and screaming. It says, if they would have known what they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That is sobering, man. Um, uh, I don't want to be one of those. Yes. Types. How, how, so this is, uh, ask Lenny, how do you, let me ask you for some advice. You're a seasoned, Season dude, been walking the road a long time, been a pastor of churches. Seasoned in the way of being crusty. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I just you just that in. I'm sorry. You haven't, you haven't given up on the Lord. When did you become a believer? I mean, how many years has it been? But I mean, you don't have to answer that. But what I'm saying is, in your experience, time. what would you advise us? What would you advise people in their faith to? Pro- 
proactively? How do how do we not become like those that are just paying attention to the jot and the tittle, to the deal, to just the going through the motions? What would you say is a thing to proactively engage and and engage the heart of the Lord? What's your what's your wisdom? Well, it would be the same thing that he says. He goes. Again, it's that recovery of the first commandment. What we have to put forward is, he goes, obey my commandments and you'll have life. You know, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. I think that is, those passages there are the state of what he's trying to get his people to have intimacy with him in. When you read his words, that he's really reiterating of his relationship with his father. And he says that we can enter in, you know, John 17, the culmination of it is he go, I in you, you and you and me, and we are in him when he says, and we're one to love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we're not daily pursuing the fact of loving him, the natural request, course then is to obey him but it's loving him and finding out how to love him you know okay yesterday was a, a, a rough day between it was just one of those days out, we can call it warfare we can call it stupidity between me and my wife right well when i woke up this morning i go lord i want to know how to love my wife more today i want the expression of what i need to do i want her to see that I love her more than anything. And yet I can't do that unless I'm loving you more than anything else. And I think daily we have to start examining ourselves and taking, if you will, just note and making a journal saying, have I fallen in love more with God today with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because if I'm doing that, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my neighbor. If those things aren't in place, when it comes down to the rest of it, uh, obeying a Sabbath, keeping it, not coveting. And the only reason we covet is because things are taken away from us or else we don't have any more the things we could have had. All, all those things come into play, but it starts first with loving with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's why he says, this is the greatest of commands. He goes, why am I commanding you? Why is this my statute? Because it's going to be your very survival and your very life. And uh, he, he gives us that privilege. So he goes, hero Israel, the Lord is one. Mm. What does he mean by that? He means he's telling you who he is. So, Father, when you tell this to your children, a la Deuteronomy 6, he goes, they're going to know that this is their identity. They're part, and they're called a son or a daughter of the living God. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm feeling the presence of the Lord on your words right now. My, my advice then is to... We need to really be able to catalog every day how much more we're falling in love with them. And it's just a little adjustment. I mean, it, it, it's that adjustment of receiving his mercy and giving it back. 
And that's what keeps me through the day because when I asked him today to teach me to love my wife because I wasn't loving her yesterday like I should. <laughs> I also know that when I turn on the TV, I'm not going to let that garbage affect me because I, I check the news. I got, I want I want to see what's going on, but I'm, I'm going to also put in perspective where he's at and where the kingdom of God is at and why I'm here. That's why I'm not going to be moved. That's why I'm not going to be pushed out of the way by fear or pushed out of the way by the times we're living in. But then again, that's my call. My, my call is to speak into those lives of men and women who can speak to the nations, I think. Not for me to, but when I think like Alan, what he does, he's reaching people I could never reach. He mm -hmm. has the skill set to do that. But I think my calling is to, to tell those people, look at God has given you the understanding to unravel the mysteries of what's to come. And so just a little part I can play. And what did that is all the times I screwed up as a pastor for 39 years. And, but yet the blessings there too. I mean, we launched, I don't know how many churches and how many guys that are in the, the field today in ministry that, uh, not, not to put a badge, but man, they're out there. They're doing things that I can't do. They, they have houses in India that are taking kids off the streets that have been trial trafficked and their ministries are just flourishing. These brothers out of Texas that were my associate pastors. Then there's some other uh, pastors, associates that I've had that my heart just breaks from. They got into the whole same sex thing. They got into the whole um, uh, bad part of disobeying God's word, can I say? And my heart goes out to them and I pray for them. So I've had good and bad. But my advice is, man, check how much you're loving him daily, every day. Mm. Start out with that. Start just read the verse. And you know what? It's important. I it's It's been part of my thing. I've done... Uh, Robert Murray McShane uh, reading every day. Uh, he, he put that about 110 years ago. He started a, a Bible reading program. You go through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year. And I read my chapters every day. Every day I've done that for about, I'd say, 20, 23 years. Mike Flynn is an Episcopalian priest who used to who got turned on to John Wimber and we got really close through the years. He pastored St. Jude's in Burbank when we were in Burbank. And uh, um, that daily reading that we need to do, plus our Torah portions. I do, you know, they go, how much do you read? I go, not enough. Mm. Do you do both those? So you do the, the daily Bible reading, which is, I use one that's similar to that. Uh, it's yeah. based on that, but you're reading basically two, yeah, it's, it's like four chapters years. a day, two Old Testament, two New Testament, because you go through the New Testament twice. And then you also do the Torah readings. Yeah, and we do, um, me and my wife do those together. Saturday, what we try to do for our Shabbat is that we listen to it on audio, but we either read it through the week or we read it that day. And then uh, we've been tuning into Jacob's tent lately. Bill Cloud, love his teaching, you know, he, mm. but, you know, what we do is we spend all day Saturday and just try to fill ourselves with what we can. You know, this last Saturday, we 
got it in whatever we could, but we had to be with our grandkids too. And that's part of what Sabbath is, you know, blessing them. But it's that reading, which a lot of believers just don't do it. They've it, it's washing us. It's just cleansing us. And put it this way. I know less now than I've ever known before in my life. I wish I could say I'm filled with wisdom and I'm, I have all this. I, I, I'm going, I'm just touching the surface of this and I don't know what I should know. That's mm-hmm. why I can't stop not learning, but learning is only learning when he puts the input into you, when it changes you to love him more. Then I know I'm learning. That's when I know I'm learning when I can't get enough of him. Man, the importance of the word is critical. Yeah. Sometimes maybe I take so many things back to my boy and he'll sometimes say, man, I just, I, I have a hard time reading or paying attention. So we'll do audio, audio Bible or, um, I try to encourage him, but many people I talk to say similar, similar thoughts. And I say, you know what? It'd be more important to it's quality over quantity. Yeah. So rather than trying to read four chapters and check it off your box, believe this is the word of God. Yeah. And if you look at it, this is, this is Jesus speaking. And if he ever, if he was face to face with me and said something, you'd never say something contradictory to this and so read and it'd be better to read a verse and dwell on it for 20 minutes than check off four chapters and but i it's it's i think this is this goes to what we're talking about about jot and tittle so many people it's Mm -hmm. so easy in the church to go through the motions and any Christian you talk to and, and you say, what do you, how are you supposed to know the Lord more? What are you supposed to do in your faith? They will all say, I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray. And the averages are when you say, well, what's your plan for that? Like, Oh, I don't really do it. I try to read it once a week or, or I try to do it daily. And, and, but in a worst case, when you're, when you're pressing into it, they'll like, people resist like, well, that's uh, that sounds legalism. That sounds like law. That sounds like trying hard. And it's just, it's just such a fine line between doing the same thing with intent of getting your heart closer to the Lord or remaining in the vine and doing it to check off a box and Christ that he invites us into life. Yeah. You know, was it first Timothy four? just read it this morning is that he says, give your attention to reading, to exhortation Mm. and and to doctrine. He says, he goes, tell them to do that. And he was, he was, he was talking to them. The chapter previous to that was what overseers and elders supposed to do. Then he goes into this phase. He goes, Timothy, my son, if you want to grow, give yourself to this. Pay attention to this. Mm. It had to be part of who we are, but it wasn't doing it just to do it. He goes, you're doing this. Why? Because it shows your faith. And what's faith? I want to know what I need to do to obey. And Paul would say, find out what pleases the Lord. 
what pleases him? Well, it's faith. What's faith? It's obeying him. It's knowing that word that the word is more than just uh, words on a page. It's living. That's why he's called the living word. I remember John Lumber got in trouble at that time. I think it was Walter Martin when he was alive called him out because they took what he said out of context. Maybe he didn't finish his thought, but the when you hear the the full message, he goes, you know, as Christians, we we our, our worship is about worshiping. God, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Bible. And uh, he was trying to make a point and they just, they didn't get his gist. And they said, oh, you're saying we're worshiping God, the Holy Bible. The word's not important. He goes, that's not what I'm saying at all. What he's saying is all is connected. But what our worship is, it has to do with loving him with everything. And it takes all of that for us to love him. But he goes, unfortunately, in different denominations and parts of the church, they only look at God as the Bible. That's that Pharisee, the jot and the tittle, the mint and the cumin. And he goes, then there's some that's only the Holy Spirit. Well, I'll let the Spirit tell me. But here's what the Word of God says. That's a loaded gun. Well, the Spirit told me. And as a pastor, you know, the worst thing you can hear is when they're asking you for advice, well, the Spirit told me that. I go, in your situation, what does the word of God say? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just follow the spirit. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, lo- that's a, that's a loaded gun. I go, how do you deal with that? I can't, I'm not your pastor. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You're my pastor. I go, well, if I'm telling you not to sin and commit adultery, are you going to listen to me? I go, sin makes you stupid basically. And I go, uh, I used to tell people, look, You'll know if I'm your pastor the first time I have to tell you no. <laughs> and most of the people usually leave the church by then. Yeah. Because I have to tell them no. And, you know, those are some of the things that when I look back, I go, it was training for me. It's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Like creating, a, I mean, I've, I've never been a head pastor, but growing up in the church, it, it's really... I know the struggles pastors have. If you're saying you're trying to create a culture and an atmosphere where where the flock is hungry for the word and hungry for the works of the spirit, man, it's so difficult. So then it's probably because, I mean, everyone's bringing their own expectations of what church is and what it should be. You get sucked into programs and sucked into numbers and metrics and man, but creating a community and a culture, which I know is the heart of chameleon church where people are around the word, they're around Jesus, they're around the spirit. And, and it's so, I've wondered about Jesus. I, I like daydreaming about this a little bit and watching the chosen has, has helped me things like that help you visualize it. Like, how, like, I wonder, like, because it's clear he knew the scripture. And if it came from him, then he was part of its authorship. And did he actually sit down and read it, right? Or he just, oh, I remember when I wrote that. Or was it like looking at his journal? Like, 
Oh, let me, it talks about when he read from the book of Isaiah in the temple, like, was that the first time he ever opened a scroll or is like, he's, he's just recalling, Oh, I remember when I wrote that. But what I wonder about is, is his life of meditation on the word and what that looked like. And what, if, if someone straight up asked him, Hey, how, how much should I read? every day and he would be like and he'd, he'd come up with some answer about your hearts are far from me and it's not about but just the practicalities of if you're a shepherd and a pastor what you would tell people to invest their time in and i just i find that really fascinating because what i think about being a musician right yeah. it's like man i want to be good i'm a drummer i want to be a good drummer and you'd be like well how often do you play oh i, I know i should I know I should play the drums. I just can't find time for it, but I want to do it. There's a, there's a thing of like you put in a work, you know, you got to sit down at your drums two hours a, a day seasons where you're playing four hours a day to get the technique, to get the, they call it uh, five limb independence. If your mind or your lips are, are disconnected from each limb, you know, how you have to unlock your, you have to do enough repetitions that it unlocks your mind till the music flows freely. And I think it's this, it's been my experience the same spiritually. There's, there's times where you just, you just soak, repeat, read the book of John, read it again, read again, read again. And those repetitions. And then you like cross the threshold where it's like, it's internalized. It's becoming more internalized and it's, and and I just think that that's necessary, but it's hard to say, tell someone to do that without it being sounding legalistic. But it, I think the same principles apply, don't they? Yeah, Repetition and, and soaking in it until it becomes second nature, or, or that's the goal. You think about Jesus. I mean, he was raised in this weekly. Mm -hmm. They read the Torah. Deuteronomy 6, they sat around the table. They talked about it. Yeah. It was a daily life. It was a thing. Yeah, he, he read. He, he, he looked at it. He knew it. And yet, remember, he had to grow into this. I mean, we want to think in his mind, well, he knew who he was. No, he, he grew into who he was. The, the Spirit filled him. And when, when you think about him, he had to be human and learn these things. And yet he was... The son of God. And uh, at what point? Well, when he was young, he says, I know I'm about my father's business. But remember what the scripture says. He had to see what the father was doing and he would only do what the father was doing. So he had to observe and he had to act on what he saw also. Mm -hmm. He's not just this one who, well, I know everything that's going to come down the pike, so I'll just do it. No. He watched what the father did. He saw, and he only did what he saw the father doing. Right. And he told us we better, knowing his word, do the same thing. That's, that's important. What Trimmer said here was really important. He says, I learned a long time ago that reading without reflecting, meditating is like eating without digesting. That yeah. is really good. Really good. That's really good. And uh, yeah, uh, that last verse in Luke 2. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. 
Yeah. Like, but he was Jesus. How could he grow? Because that would say, yeah. you know, if you start taking it literally, it's like he had more wisdom to get. But isn't he Jesus? Doesn't he already have all the wisdom? So there was something about his 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 humanity. Yeah. That he still participated in some sort of Growth integrating things of the spirit into his body. That's it's a really mm-hmm. interesting passage when you when you think, wait, but he was Jesus. Didn't he know everything? I don't know. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's, a, that's a powerful verse where where he's talking yeah. about or the concept yeah. where he's talking about I only do what my father does and I can't do. He says I can't is it John fourteen or sixteen? I can't do he says he can't do anything without the father. Right. So even as Jesus reliance on the father is just a fascinating concept. A reality. It's not a concept. It's reality. It's reality. He's the, and the connection that right. It speaks to me with all my human flaws, how he had to grow in that and how his mercy is there every day for us. And yet how his love is there for every day. He says, Hey, you know what? You're my son. Hmm. He goes, the kingdom's before you. If, Grasp it. If he we had the, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're part of that. Yeah. You know? If he needed the father, how much more us? Yeah. Wow. Humility. I'm thinking of the word humility, man. A, rec- a daily recognition, daily recognizing we don't have what we need in our life without, apart from the Father. We need to be renewed daily, coming before Him saying, Lord, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer for my kids, for my wife, my spouse, my job. I need your spirit in my life. I invite you in my life today. Give me the word that I need that sustains me today. Right. It's rooted in humility, isn't it? Yeah. We, we, we aren't God. You know, it's something just popped into my mind, just as you're speaking, just the spirit, you know, when you said, when we looked at, at the beginning, the Pharisees hell, or the religious system of that day, Jesus said, your your righteousness has to exceed them. And you brought up that point where they were so into the exactness of what they needed to do. They wanted to compartmentalize everything so that they wouldn't miss anything. And they missed the relationship that he offered them. He was crying out. He goes, don't you see? He says, how... I wanted you guys to be like a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wing and know they're safe and loved, but you would not. They missed the day of their visitation. And uh, they were so into figuring it out. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, he goes, don't you understand this being a teacher of the law that you don't know which way that wind blows? (laughs) That's the spirit. And uh, in order to function in the spirit, you have to understand that you're 
a child of mine. And it was more than just compartmentalizing how we should do and act and, and be. And it was every word that he said, which brings life to his children. He says, this is for you. This is how much I love you. Those first chapters in Deuteronomy that are just filled with how much he loved his people and how much he wanted to do. It's just amazing. Um, the invitation he had for them and what did they do? They ran and they made it something legal. And, um, I usually, that's usually a soapbox for me because I grew up with those phrases. Oh, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't even know what that means. We apply it to anything and everything. And uh, um, it's one of those buzzwords that as soon as a Christian hears that or a believer hears that, they go ballistic and they go, oh, no, 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 no. And uh, it's it's something that I um, I would like to hear a good teaching on that someday. I've heard it come close saying, what is the difference of what legalism is and freedom? And right away, they always, re uh, always refer back to, well, legalism is obeying the law. Oh, my gosh, that's the first thing they go to. And it has nothing to do with that. Especially when he says, I've come to uphold it, to fulfill it. And yeah, we know it's to those that are sinners, but to us who are not, it's life. A blossoming life. You know, when he gave the Torah, it's a picture of um, the ketubah, the wedding contract. That's what it was supposed to be. Exactly. It was a, the, the law was given. The Torah was given. It's a wedding contract. And if he's the living Torah, is he the epitome of legalism? No. Mm -hmm. It's life. And uh, this is where I think we've had a bad rap in that. <laughs> I think it relates to humility for sure. Yeah. yeah. It becomes when legalism and I got to do and I got to tithe and I got to like keep all the feasts when it becomes performance-based Right. And losing the, the perspective. And uh, this is this is this. Is, I mean, I'm a one trick pony. I encourage anyone. If I have the opportunity to speak to anyone that's watching or will watch, it is daily maintain the posture, a worshipful posture and putting yourself in a position daily to be humble and come before the Lord and say, you are God. You are king. You are the ancient one. There is no, no other than you. I give you everything in my heart that keeps you from having full reign and your kingdom being alive in my heart. And just that daily, it's, it's creating atmospheres of worship, starting with your heart. Because if, if, if your heart isn't worshipful, then that's not going to spill out to your family. It's not going to spill out to the world. Um, and I think it's around humility. That's what God's been speaking to me lately. Chris, you're too, like, you're not being humble in this area. This thing you want to control or this, this sin that's manifesting in my life, it's because 
you are wanting to be in control and not me. And I, that's when it goes south for me is when I'm losing the humility and losing the perspective of you are ruler. I am not. And it's not even this gap between here and here. His highs are so far higher than our ways. Incrementally, we can't even fathom the, the difference. And when we start saying, oh, I'm, this is my control. That's, that's where I, that's where I go south is it, it always comes down to a question of humility and a posture of worship before the Lord. And I'm, I've given that up, right? trying to take over a kingdom of my heart that is, should be the Lord's. Yeah. He does all things well. That's for sure. Oh my gosh. It's good stuff. Hmm. What do you sense? Are you sensing anything for these upcoming uh, weeks coming into the holidays? It's interesting. I've, I've been able to speak into my family's life a lot lately. And it's interesting how many of them are moving away from celebrating what they knew as to be his birthday. And they've uh, come to say, well, what do we do with ourselves? I go, well, you're still family. Get together. <laughs> and uh, that's one thing. And those part of our family that doesn't believe in it, just love them. Honor them. But you know who, who you are and you know what the scriptures teach. I go, and this is where you just need to be gracious. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, and we forget that one. It's, it's that goodness that changes hearts. It, everyone that gets saved, it says, some pull out of the fire with fear, some with compassion. You know, and yet at the, the bottom line, Paul would say, you know what? It's that goodness. When that is seen, you're talking about humility and that kind of life the graciousness towards someone who doesn't have, um, that's what draws them. That's what draws them to Jesus. Because that's who he was. I mean, he was totally human, and yet he was the son of man. He was the cloud rider that one that Daniel saw that is going to receive the kingdom from his father's hands and has all dominion. And yet, like, I think The Chosen is an excellent. What I've seen of it, the way they depicted him was the best I've ever seen. Mm. He was just kind and normal, and yet he held his own. I'm kind of anxious to see how the rest of the episodes are going to show him as he comes to the cross. It's going to be interesting. Huh. Yeah, I think the the holidays are the hardest thing I have with them. I mean, I mean, and I remember this being a kid. Um, I mean, you grow up. Um, it's it's about you know, it's not about presents, but it's exciting, right? Any any kid who doesn't love to unwrap a present or a gift, and right, but probably more in high school, just noticing the hecticness 
like I'm a, I'm kind of not kind of, I am introverted. I'm very introverted and very, very happy to be alone with my thoughts or with a book or, or making music, whatever. But the, the, the meter that goes up with obligations expected, like you could go into this thing and you go into this thing and it just gets so full and hectic. But the thing that concerns me is even as we're talking about, you know, dwelling in Torah and, and the daily practice of reading scripture and soaking in it, there are so many distractions Oh yeah. To pull us that way from, from whatever you want to blame it on, you know, social media is a great scapegoat, but it's more like that. The attitude of the heart. I got to watch TV. I got to, I got to know what's going on today. I got to. And if you look, you look the, and let's just talk about American culture. Cause that's what I'm most familiar with. Yeah. But the patterns, it's like the next thing. You've got you've got Halloween. I was I was in a I was in a store the other day, and they and they they have Christmas trees out. I'm just like, what in the like? I'm like, what month is it? Yeah. And it's like the next thing that extract. You know, we just said generally materialism. You've got Halloween, and then you've got the next thing that's over, and then the next thing to gra- capture our mind is Thanksgiving. And then that's over and a black Friday. The next thing to capture our mind is Christmas. And then that's over. And then it's like the NFL playoffs. And then it's Super Bowl. Super Bowl's over. Then what's the next thing? Oh, I don't know. Valentine's Day. You know, you, if you just look like the Hallmark marketing plan or like what's the next holiday. And it's just like we're so wired to be distracted by the next thing. And oftentimes it's it's to what you're going to spend your money, where you're going to put your attention. And what I, my prayer is this next holiday season, like, as you're saying, there, there can be so many, so much distractions away from the Lord and his shalom and his peace that there's just like, I don't want like the, the dip and the rise and fall of activity. How do you maintain this steady, this just steady awareness of the shalom and the peace of the Lord. And it just gets, it does get complicated yeah. with, with the more people and the more families that, you know, that want to pull you into what their expectation is for the holidays, but having the grace and the humility to love, like you say, love others where they're at and, not losing the peace of the Lord during the season is, is, is difficult. Yeah. I want to do a, um, read this. I I love this verse. Um, I remember the guy who wrote it. I was at Ken Gullickson's Bible study in, in um, Sunland. I was a brand new believer and, uh, the guy who wrote Psalm five, he was, uh, he, uh, was an incredible, incredible worship leader. And I think this is the only song that, um, made it out to the church. And he passed away about two weeks after I heard him sing it. 
He wrote Psalm 5, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Chuck Gerard used to sing that song a lot. You know, it was one of the early staples of the early Calvary Chapel, you know, just one of the first worship songs. And it always, I remember when he wrote it, it's just the first thing you do in the morning. You look up. He hears our voice in the morning, so... Yeah, that's good. So there's so much in the Psalms about the morning time and being still on my bed. The morning, yeah. the morning time is that's my rhythm is yeah. I've noticed. Um, it's just worked out the best for me. If I get too far in my day without it, I, I can look up and if it's 3 PM and I'm feeling hectic or frazzled or distracted. I'll be, Oh yeah, I skipped that my usual routine because of whatever even this even this tuesday is a challenge you know being up being up pretty early for this is i get up earlier than usual to be on this call and it's like man i, I miss like now i'm usually with the lord you know solo yeah. and right. and so just being up a little earlier even if it's not my full time to reset my mind is so important to me personally. It's, it's the morning. Is it the morning for you too? Yeah. I, I have to be up by five o'clock and then remember we start at six 30 here on California time. So six 45, it goes on. So basically, so here we are. This has really been a blessing to be able to do this this last two weeks with you, Chris. Yeah, you too. I think we got Alan back next week, right? Yeah, we sure do. That'll be great. You want to pray us out? Yeah, sure. Okay. Lord, I, I bless your name. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are righteous. You are lovely. Thank you for shining on us. Thank you for shining your face on us. Thank you for your mercies. I thank you that you sent your son to remove legalism and to remove cold, hard facts from us and invite us into a relationship with you and that Jesus rose from the dead. I thank you that you have given us eternal life and you invite us into your kingdom, into an inheritance as sons and daughters. We just bless your name. And we just say, we, you are God. We come to you with a posture of humility. Thank you for forgiving our sins. We ask for your grace for today. For everyone watching now or that might watch this, I pray that you would give them your peace. You would give them your shalom and you would meet every need, every sickness, every financial trouble, 
every anxiety, every worry we give to you and ask you for your help. We relinquish control. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. We pray that your spirit would move. And we agree with your will that all men and women on earth would be saved. Show us how to participate in that. We give you every corner of our heart. And we just bless your name forever and ever. Pray to be with Alan. Bring him back to us next week safely as he travels. Just cover him. Let the light of your face shine upon him. And, and we just bless your name. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Chris. All right, man. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do the outro. You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical Antidotes for the Modern Man. With your host, Ellen Aguirre. The views and opinions expressed during our broadcasts are solely those of the broadcast producers, hosts, and or guests, etc., and are not necessarily the views or opinions of the Travelog Network, its sponsors, or affiliates.